Good morning, everybody. Recently, I've been uh, uh, Dulce, who's our uh, communications coordinator, recently sent out a an email asking for people to share images of uh, their home altars and any any words they wanted to share about uh, kind of moving the temple into their house. And it's going to be part of the newsletter that's coming out. So I've seen, uh, I've seen the, uh, I guess, advanced copy of what that's going to look like. Um, and it's very uh, powerful. and very dear to see these altars, some of which I think have been around for years, and I think some of have just sprouted up by necessity in these past few weeks as we've been isolated, physically isolated. And it's really wondrous to see how this, the one temple has kind of been I don't know, smashed into a hundred temples. I think it speaks to the resilience and creativity and a responsive, spontaneous energy of this community that has uh, given birth to all these places of practice in our homes, which used to be places that we would just return to And I think we're in the, you know, the kind of very quick way we've reimagined community and maintained connections in, in the midst of all this. It gives me, uh, it's very encouraging and gives me uh, hope and uh strengthens my faith. So hopefully you'll be seeing those pictures soon. And it, uh, when I was thinking about this talk, it brought to mind uh, case four of the Book of Serenity. You know, case four of the Book of Serenity just pops up, you know? So I'd like to uh, share that case with you and some of the, and the verse that goes along with that case, because I think it's, uh, 
speaks to this moment in our Sangha and speaks to the ways how, of how this moment can be uh, Uh, you know, folded into practice. So the the introduction, the case is called the World Honored One points to the ground, and the introduction goes like this: As soon as a single mote of dust arises, the whole earth is contained therein. With a single horse and a single lance. The lands extended. Who is this person who can be master in any place and meet the source in everything? And the case reads as follows. As the world honored one was walking with the congregation, he pointed to the ground with his finger and said, This spot this spot is good to build a sanctuary. Indra, emperor of the gods, took a blade of grass, stuck it in the ground, and said, The sanctuary is built. The world honored one smiled. So the world honored one, the Buddha's walking, walking with the Sangha. It doesn't ex ex say why. Maybe they have to move to a new location. Chased away by the rains, maybe. Anyway, circumstances have forced them to move and find a new place to practice. The Buddha stops and points to the ground and says, this is a good place. Actually, this spot is good to build a sanctuary. So we don't have to We don't have to wait to find a place to practice. We can start right here where we are in our own home. And be creative. This very ground, this very earth where we are on right now. Yeah. He points to the ground. It reminds me of when he touched the ground when he was being challenged by Mara. Yeah. We have this support is already here, it's already available. And we can start in this place to practice.
Oh, it's not really the the space that's the issue, but the intention. That's what makes a temple. It's an intentional space. And when we exert our energy and our intention in that direction, temple is born. There's a poem that goes along with this case, which I think points to how this creative temple building, this spontaneous intention, this resilience and flexibility supports us to meet the world. This is the, this is the verse. The boundless spring on the hundred plants, picking up what comes to hand, she uses it knowingly. The 16 foot tall golden body, a collection of virtuous qualities. Casually, leads her by the hand into the red dust. Able to be master in the dusts. From outside creation, a guest shows up. Everywhere, life is sufficient in its way. No matter if one is not as clever as others. The boundless spring on the hundred plants. The, the suchness of our particular situation, our particular circumstance. We meet it through the particularity. We enter into the boundless spring through each of these hundred plants. Picking up what comes to hand. A cup. Bell. Phone. Picking up what comes at hand, she uses it knowingly. So it's not just picking up what comes to hand, but picking it up, picking up what comes to hand with care and attention. And that's how we can put to use what comes to hand.
the 16-foot-tall golden body. Which I always think of as as Buddha, or awakened nature. A collection of virtuous qualities. That awakening that's supported by precepts, by our vows, by by the perfections. You know, with that awakening, with that ethical intention, we're led by the hand into the red dust. I always, it, it resonates with the line in the other uh, koan, you know, following the spring, wor- spring wind into the scars of the burning. We bring all the intention and the at- attention that we can summon. And then we go forward, and from that place, we can meet what arises. able to be master in the dusts. Master is a problematic word, but for me it speaks to uh, a sense of being present and flexible and equanimous in the midst of suffering. From outside creation, a guest shows up. A virus shows up. Thousands of deaths. Even so, everywhere life is sufficient as it is. So there's something about all these temples sprouting in our homes. Which is preparing us and supporting us 
in meeting this moment. You know, in her talks from the monastery, Tia has been talking about touching into the stillness that is our true nature. that can, that is the, the life as it's coming to be. And responding from there. And for me, over the past three weeks, the request and the challenge has been to, has been how to touch into that quality for ourselves and to benefit others now that we're all apart. And what came up, what I'm kind of finding in my own life is concentration, returning and making an extra effort to, to concentrate. You know, it's one of the, it's one of the perfections. So, it's, and sometimes it's just translated as meditation. And I think at this moment, our a daily practice for me has been essential. You know, and my my quarantine is certainly a privileged one. I have the luxury of being able to isolate and go out minimally. But even so, the stakes of not being present are higher. So I think Concentration is a quality, a virtue that is in the service of compassion. And we do this in Zazen, we come back to the breath 
Come back to the posture. Mind wanders. Gently bring it back. Or in my case, sometimes not so gently. Back again, back again. And we begin to taste the quality of presence. The quality of being right there as the thought arises as the emotion arises, as the siren rends the silence. And I think concentration here, as I'm talking about it, is not, it's not a a mental exertion that happens above our necks, but it's a heart. It's a heart activity. You know, in the in the Jukai ceremony, we say Bodhisattva Mahasattvas, concentrate your hearts on me. Bring our whole body to bear. all of our senses to bear in this moment. And the energetic quality of the heart is, is there, is included in that. So when I'm thinking of the perfection of concentration, I'm thinking of that kind of quality of uh, wholeheartedly returning to our lives. And I think returning to our intention is, is, happens alongside that. This concentration also enables us to be available when grief arises. We can be fully there. 
when uh, when the effort of concentration has can keep us rooted there. And I don't think concentration, again, is not uh, doesn't need to be strict. It can be quite tender, quite gentle. The quality of attending to a detail where we put our shoes by the door or how we wash our hands for 20 seconds. Bringing ourselves back to that activity opens up into a field of care and devotion. which can sustain us in the midst of this world. I think especially here in the city where where there's a very real sense of the velocity and the fierceness and the exponentiality of this crisis. I think it's very easy to for me it's very easy to go either overwhelmed or shut down in the midst of that kind of energy. And when I'm able to come back to this moment, I stand a chance. of being able to respond. And this is something that we do certainly we practice this in our apartments, but we also practice this together. You know, we have these, you know, it's strange how quickly to me these virtual sits have become normalized in a certain way. I'm, I've already forgotten that I'm sitting alone in my apartment in my robes looking at a computer.
Well, now I just remembered it. But there was a... The quality of Sangha mysteriously still comes through. And it's, it's a difficult irony that the computer, which is the source of our connection now, is uh, can also be the the fountain of our distractions. But Sangha still permeates this. The wonderful resilience is felt. So for me, taking part in these sits, making a schedule for myself at home, which I don't always follow, but when I can, it helps. Every possible way that I can jerry-rig my own home situation into reminding me to be present is helping me right now. And it helps me when I meet others. So this these practices of concentration and attention are ultimately in the service of service. I wanted to say a few words about the quality of effort and perseverance that I feel is being asked of us. You know, the perfection of joyful effort precedes the perfection of concentration in the list of the paramitas. And I think those two perfections have a symbiotic relationship. When we practice concentration, you know, energy arises which we can use to fuel our vow, fuel our, our activity. In the Lotus Sutra in chapter 15, there's a wonderful image, which we just studied in the, in the Lotus Sutra class, 
uh, this past week where the you know the Buddha is addressing this huge assembly. Obviously, the Lotus Sutra could not happen these days. The police would break it up. You know, highly contagious situation there. But uh, there's all these bodhisattvas in the audience, and they're listening to the Buddha, and they're. Uh, They're vowing to take the teachings forward into the future. You know, after the Buddha passes into, into Nirvana. And the Buddha says, actually, you don't have to worry about that. And when he says this, this huge multitude of bodhisattvas emerges out of the earth in a space below the earth. They've been waiting there, waiting to be, waiting to be summoned. Anyway, it turns out the Buddha reveals that he's been teaching these bodhisattvas that are in the earth for all these kalpas and and then in the next chapter, he goes on to say that the, the birth and death and the nirvana of Shakyamuni Buddha is just uh, an expedient illusion to help people practice. But in reality, the lifespan of the Buddha is inconceivably long. But there's a really interesting description of these bodhisattvas that are in the earth and the quality of their practice. I'll uh, read it right now. These bodhisattvas have no desire to be in a multitude, kind of like us now, but they ever desire a quiet place for they strive to practice Vigorous perseverance. So they seem to be in seclusion, but at the same time, they're making this vigorous effort. And I feel that we, that's kind of the, that's a situation we're in now. We're secluded away, but practicing with a great effort So that when we're, when we're summoned, we can respond appropriately. 
that image of the bodhisattvas in the earth is um, in one way we can think of ourselves as those bodhisattvas and another way we can think of those bodhisattvas as the earth itself and a support that's always available. I think we can be the host or the guest in that relationship, or both. Um, one thing, and I say this for myself, um, that resting and taking care of ourselves is actually included in the work of effort. And Reb Anderson has a new book on the paramitas, and in it he talked, he actually says something like, overworking is actually a sign of laziness, which is my new, I'm going to put that on the wall. <laughs> There's a way that if we keep working in that kind of way where we can just hop onto some kind of habitual, exhausting and depleting cycle, and that it actually takes an effort put that down. So I think this is a, a really, at the same time that we make this effort, it's also for those of us who have the luxury to be safely isolated, to take care of ourselves and do what nour nourishes us, what sustains us for what I feel is going to be a long haul. So I think it's important to ask what, what this effort looks like in our lives that can support us, recharge our intentions, bring us back to the life that's emerging now, and also cares for ourselves so that we can care for others. So in that spirit, I'd like to close with a poem this is from a book called Daughters of Emptiness. It's a book of uh, poems by uh, Chan nuns from like the 7th century uh, to the 20th. And this was one of those situations where I was like, I need to have a poem for my talk. So I opened up this, I was like, okay, I'm just going to open up the book and see what leaps out. And 
miraculously, the one that The one that I opened to is called Living in Seclusion, Sitting in Silence. And this is, uh, uh, written by a nun called Jingnuo. Uh, I'll read her bio here, it's 17th century. Jingnuo was the daughter of a country magistrate from Hangzhou. She entered the monastic life as a young girl and became the senior Dharma heir of the woman Chan master Weiji Zingzhi. Like her teacher, she earned a reputation for compassionate but strict discipline and impeccable behavior and attracted hundreds of followers. One anecdote relates how she built a grass hut on the banks of the river. Every time she saw the blossoming plum on the myriad trees or the wildly blowing snow, she would say, this is where true enlightenment is to be found. So it looks like she also, you know, made a sanctuary with a blade of grass. This is, uh, this is her poem. Living in seclusion, sitting in silence. Living in seclusion, one can simply do as one pleases. With a single text, one can forget oneself for a while. The daylight hours, how much time is there really? Why then do I not exert myself? Although the ancients are long gone, their wisdom must still be grasped. From the empty eaves, water keeps on dripping. From the censer, ashes fall, marking the time. This mood always bling, brings me great pleasure. As with both hands, I clasp my book tightly. What a pity it is that ordinary people of the world know not this intimacy with the words of the wise. So it's a little bit exclusionary at the end, but she's having a good time. She's taking care of herself. And enjoying the Dharma in seclusion. So I think that's also an opportunity for us now to be nurtured by the Dharma, by the ancestors. Call them to concentrate their hearts on us as we concentrate our hearts, our hearts on the world. So that's all I have for today. I welcome any 
questions or comments that you have. If you'd like to uh, speak, you can just unmute yourself and, and then I'll respond. Camille calling in. Uh, hi, Camille. Hi, Ian. I'm sorry I don't have a live video going, but I'm sitting on my cushion and looking at all your faces. Um, thank you for all that. That was, that was great. Perfect. Um, so I get I can, in seclusion, sit and concentrate my heart and uh, enjoy the Dharma. Um, be present with all the, the sirens that are uh, been going crazy for the last two and a half days, uh, crazier than usual. Um, I walked past uh, Methodist uh, Hospital on 7th and 7th yesterday and heard a clunk. I looked um, and then saw there were uh, not just one, but two um, trailers for um, the bodies. So I think I heard a body going in. Um, uh, so I can be mindful, I can try to use this, um, quarantine practice period and sort of prepare, you know, continue to, um, uh, prepare for whatever, uh, wherever my aspirations lead. Um, but do you have any, anything else to say about what hard activity, hard activity might, might, um, look like, or, uh, at this moment, as I sit on my cushion, um, listening to the sirens, um, and I'll probably be in my, my little monk cell for <laughs> another couple of months. Um, I, I just heard that, uh, I'm a teacher. I just heard that we'll be um, some. I'm working uh, from home, so I just heard that we'll also be doing that in the summer, and and they're also even looking to the fall. To, um, so uh, this will be for a while, I think. <laughs> yeah. What? Any other thoughts about hard activity? What might what might that look like for me? me I think it's important I actually have the window open my room right now so I just heard the same siren you probably heard I think the response in this situation where we are so many of us isolated and not going out I think it's gonna look different uh, for everybody For me, it's important to allow the allow what's happening into my heart and let my heart reverberate with it. And
And for me, I'm trying to support others as I can from this spot. Um, you know, be in contact with the Sangha, have a practice buddy, come together as you can in these, in these, in the various groups that are still meeting online. Because I think we still need to feel each other. Um, so I think even though we're isolated, our response can still, you know, there can still be connections that we can offer. Even if you're passing somebody on the street six feet away, you can make a connection. Um, so for me, it's, it's important to keep uh, tapping into that and in those meetings, uh, you know, I kind of learn, I learn the response almost like, it's almost like I'm in a fog and I can see five feet ahead of me. And the response is, is just on this side of the fog. So I, I I think it's going to be different for everybody, how, how we serve, how we support each other. Um, but I think listening will help us suss out what that response is, whether it's to a siren or to a bird or to a Dharma friend. Does that help? Yes, of course. Okay, thank you. May our intention equally penetrate... Thank you for listening to this podcast offered by the Brooklyn Zen Center. Our programs are given free of charge and made possible by the donations we receive. For more information on supporting Brooklyn Zen Center, please visit the giving section of brooklynzen.org.